Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liv. Today we're talking about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Ooh. Now, people say that this is the very worst Star Trek movie of all time. Nah. But what my theory presupposes is, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. I am very fond of this movie. I watched it on Christmas Day last year. So, you know, I'd had a pretty cruisy day and I was several (laughs) drinks in when I started. And I had a really good time. And then I watched it again this morning, or most of it, just to refresh my memory. And it's not a movie without problems and some of them are very serious, but it has a lot of stuff that I like. It has a lot of stuff that I like too. I think that it's a collection of good ideas. It's not quite a movie. That's, yeah. That's my and, take. And, <laughs> no, I agree. And looking at the behind the scenes stuff, you know, it had a shortened pre-production period. Writing was curtailed by a writer's strike. You know, it, 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 it's a draft, basically. They didn't yeah. have enough budget to cover the special effects they needed. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So certainly it's a movie with problems and problematic elements, but I don't hate it. No, I don't hate it either. It's sort of nostalgic almost, or uh, like I feel warm watching it. Yeah, and in some ways that nostalgia works against it in that it's trying to capture a sort of storytelling and a sort of characterization that the movies had left behind. But Hmm. making the attempt is not a bad thing. And truthfully, I think Shatner was an okay director. He's not as good with people and actors as Nimoy was, but when it comes to glorious outdoor landscapes, he has a really, really good eye. Yeah, I think he just really likes the outdoors. Like, I think, and that sort of makes sense to me, is that the person that I know Shatner to be, to be like this sort of outdoorsy, like Marlboro Man type. Yeah, It makes sense that, that he would see beauty in that and want to capture it. Yes, and that's kind of what he wants Kirk to be, which doesn't necessarily work as well. But I just, I love the way he shoots the outdoors. I love that he loves horses the way a little girl loves horses, (laughs) to the point where if he'd had the budget for good horse prosthetics, he was going to have everyone riding unicorns. (laughs) You know, I've talked some shit about Shatner on this podcast, but I just want to give him props. He did good work here and doesn't get enough credit for it. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think he actually gets a lot of negativity that seems to be almost mean-spirited. And I, like, I am not a Shatner fan. No. But <laughs> I think that sort of, like, objectively, he, the people are hate on this movie and him for his hand in this movie, mm. it's, it's overblown. Yeah, and for example, some of the writing things, which I'm sure he had a role in, but he is not the credited writer on this movie. And like I said, there was a strike that prevented revisions. So how much is his fault? Anyway, (laughs) let's talk about that time Spock had a brother and didn't tell anyone about it. Oh, how strange. Spock had a brother and didn't tell anyone about it. 
cats. I know. It's weird. It's weird how they didn't go to any trouble to explain why he didn't tell anyone. I know. He just, like, they, they call him out and he's like, I was not in a, fra- in a frame to, of mind to discuss personal matters. They didn't change the timeline to create a situation where no one would talk about his brother? I know, it's so weird. Such an oversight. I don't understand. How could that happen? I was literally watching the movie and itching to jump over into my Twitter app and tweet Alex Kurtzman. I didn't, because I try not to be that type of person. But the (laughs) temptation was real. I just... (laughs) It just, it makes me tired. It makes me very, very tired. Yeah. But, so, you know, part of what drew me to, to rewatch Star Trek V, which I'd only seen once before last Christmas, was that with Michael on the scene, people had suddenly embraced Cyborg again and were no longer, you know, or maybe maybe new fans were rejecting the received fanboy wisdom that Cyborg is a bad character and should never be discussed. Yeah, it was, there was sort of a Cyborg renaissance that was very interesting to witness. Yeah. Well, he's an interesting character, and adding Michael into the mix of his interesting and weird and complicated family is really cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm on board with every bit of Sarek family shenanigans. Oh yeah, we're all about those shenanigans. <laughs> um, but he's like he's such an interesting character. He's such an interesting Vulcan. He's such an interesting member of Spock's family. Like, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot going on there that is really, that is not even remotely touched upon <laughs> in this film. And it's like upsetting to me that he is never mentioned again and that he's sort of swept under the rug. He almost yes. is written out of existence the way Michael is. And it's, it just seems unfair. I agree, and I kind of want fic where Cybok approaches Amanda, because obviously he's not in speaking terms with any of his Vulcan relatives, and goes, so uh, where's, where's Michael? I haven't heard from or about her in a while. Like, when she was in prison, was he writing to her to say, you made an emotional decision and you carry a lot of pain, and would you like my help to work through that? You know, yeah. I, I, I love... I love the possibilities that Cyborg and Michael together represent. I agree. And also I think Lawrence Luckenbill did a wonderful job playing him. Like Hippie Vulcan. I yeah! love it. I love Hippie Vulcan. Hippie Vulcan and cult leader Vulcan and yeah, yeah, just such an interesting character. I mean just the like the the quietest line readings like when he mm. when Kirk is like I'm Captain Kirk and he's like what about Captain Chekhov and then and then sort of goes, ah, ha, 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 what a good ruse like just that that reaction is so endearing to me it's just I don't know why it's such a random throwaway bit but I just love how he's sort of like ha 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 Captain Chekhov good one you played me I love it like, we're talking about how quiet that moment is, and it is, but there is a lot of humour in this movie and some of it doesn't work, but this bit does. And it's because Cyborg is a character who doesn't take himself seriously. Yeah, I think that's exactly. Uh, he's not trying to play a stereotypical Vulcan. He's playing no. 
Cybok. Like he he's like I am I'm not playing a human, I'm not playing a Vulcan, I'm not playing a Spock type person. Mm. I'm playing this crazy cult leader, hippie Vulcan, really enjoys life, wants to make things better. Yeah. Type. And that's the other thing. He is he might be the villain of the movie, although I don't think he's particularly villainous, but he is very much the hero of his own story. Yeah, that exactly. He he takes himself seriously, but he doesn't take himself too seriously. I think that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just love the scenes where he and Spock see each other, you know, whether that's Spock seeing him on the view screen on the Enterprise and going, <laughs> or when they encounter each other on Nimbus 3 and Cybok recognizes Spock and he's like, ah, you finally, finally developed a sense of humor. Like, I could watch the Sarek family show all yeah. day. The, the moment where um, after Cybok shows him, uh, shows Spock his birth, and then he's like, ha, 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 I won. And Spock <laughs> says, I'm, I'm not joining you. Like, I got over that. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew yeah. up. <laughs> Hello, I'm 60. <laughs> I've, I've moved on. And, like, Cybok just, you know, he remembers little Spock. Yeah. It's, like, it's so great. I really like, you know, and I would love to see more of their like coming together you know i want them to just have more family moments and and not all this nonsense that happens yes and it does feel very real that like as an adult you still think of your siblings as the people they were when they were children Absolutely. I, my sister is 25 and i still have dreams where she's a tiny four-year-old and i have to look after her yeah i absolutely i have three younger brothers <laughs> um, and the youngest like you know we are um almost nine years apart and that is huge you know mm. that that is a, a big chunk of time and you know he was five when my mother died and it was like it was my responsibility you know to take care yeah. of him and he's always going to be that five-year-old no matter how old he gets like he is he's well to do he is married he is a lawyer <laughs> he's fine he doesn't he doesn't need any mothering um, but right. he's still my baby, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, you're still his big sister and you still have to look out for him. Right. Yeah, and I feel like Cyborg, maybe he really wanted to look out for little Spock. And little Michael, maybe he was defending him against what little Michael said to him. Yeah, I absolutely get the idea that Cyborg was, like, he really wanted to be the older brother protector mm. type, you know? That, that... He understood Sarek's unreasonable expectations. Yes. And that's the other thing I would love to know. Like, was Sarek around as a dad before his mother died? Or was it a brief relationship and then they stayed in touch for, I don't know, were there access weekends? How does joint custody work on Vulcan? I feel like it doesn't. Like, I honestly, I don't, <laughs> and this is probably, like, coloured by fan fiction, but I really feel like, Sarek never saw that kid <laughs> until his mother died. And then it was like, here's a child. Enjoy. No, I, I can definitely buy that. And, and you know, little Cybok or whatever, however old he was, is like, yeah, good old. But I feel like Amanda then, would really take care of him. Oh, yeah. Amanda is probably even worse than Sarek for adopting every single child she comes across. <laughs> and... 
you know, maybe this was Cybok's first encounter with healthy emotional expression. Maybe Amanda is who inspired him to, okay, become a cult leader, but with good intentions. Right. Not, not on purpose. <laughs> no. He just, he, just, he just wanted to help people. <laughs> I did write in my in my notes and then message you to say I do not think Cybok is a licensed therapist. No. I think Cybok did a few too many drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm at. I, I suspect that he audited a lot of psychology classes, <laughs> but never took the exams or underwent any sort of assessment. But also, like, there is no proof in Star Trek that the Vulcans are actually good at therapy or <laughs> anything really you know it really seems like their whole Colinar and like that whole thing is a cult to begin with yeah yeah and that's one of the things that people find really interesting about Vulcan and I'm no exception the the gap between the logic they espouse and the spiritualist cult they actually practice yeah yeah super into it and Cyborg had to be exiled because he was clearly the one pointing out how ridiculous this false dichotomy is. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he needs to go hang out with the Romulans or something. He's, he's got to... Well, maybe we... There, maybe there he are, did. Like, the fact that there are like multiple offshoots of like Vulcan extremists who got kicked off of Vulcan, it's like maybe <laughs> that's not a good idea maybe that's not the solution and they should they should think about it and realize that exiling their extremists doesn't solve the problem just an idea future vulcans you know maybe discovery will get to the 33rd century and find out that vulcan has solved all of its problems and become a completely sensible non-ridiculous civilization but i don't think so i'm not i'm not holding my breath and I would be disappointed, frankly, if they did. <laughs> okay. So, a lot of this movie takes place on the planet Nimbus 3, in yes. the middle of the neutral zone, and the planet of galactic peace. I love Nimbus 3. It's so great, and I knew that you would love it as much as I do, because you <laughs> also love the cracks in the Federation's ideal. And this place is a hellhole. It's basically a Mad Max movie in a Starfleet uniform. I know, it's so good. I love it so much. I love Caitlin Dar forever, forever and ever. She's so great. I was going to ask how they even got the concept of Nimbus 3 past Roddenberry because it is so very much the antithesis of everything he believed in and particularly yep. what he was espousing at this stage in Next Generation. And the answer was that he had no creative control over the movies and was so unhappy about the storyline that at one point he tried to sue Shatner. Yeah, and wasn't isn't this... Like, I feel like this movie is not considered part of Star Trek canon. Well, Roddenberry certainly said it wasn't. But, you know, by this stage in his life, Roddenberry was saying a lot of things. I mean, like, I don't care either way. I, I don't have a horse in this race. But um, because, you know, I, I take everything as it's an, if you don't like it, just make it an AU and go on with your life. Which is certainly what Roddenberry did. Yes. But I think that it, it brings, there's, again, there's so many interesting ideas in this movie that add to the Star Trek lore, that add to Spock, that add to Kirk. They mm. add to the Federation. 
We learn more about McCoy in one movie uh, than, yeah. or in one scene right? than we have in decades of television. In literally the entire rest of the series. Yeah. You know, you can you can hate Shatner, but he gave McCoy a, an actual backstory on yeah, screen. And- like, not in, in a you know, a novelization or uh, idea or, you know, an article that someone wrote once upon a time, but actually on screen. And we'll get to this later, but even Uhura has a much bigger role in this movie than she has in any of the others. Yeah, really, actually, everybody has a moment. But anyway, Nimbus 3. It's a concept that I love. Its founding must date back to about the time of the Organian Treaty, so maybe roughly after the end of... TOS. I, I just... It, it's the idea that there are even dregs of the galaxy for the Federation to quote-unquote con into colonizing this place. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, you know, it's, it's, what, it's a great idea of this, we wanted to make a United Nations kind of place, right? Or a, or a um, European Union. You know, we're going to take... Yes the little warring factions and we're going to have our own you know idealized place where we can all get along and we can all work together and that it is a hellhole and a disaster and a wasteland (laughs) and I'm just like yes because this is it's a realistic Mm. and b like those are the kind of places where if you you, they're forced to work together. I mean, that's what happens in the movie, is that a, a bad thing happens, and they're forced to work together and be friends and realize that the lie that they were living is has a basis in truth and reality. Yes. Yes. And, like, it's terrible that all these people are trapped on this horrible planet, and you kind of wonder, like, was there some sort of environmental cataclysm that has left it like this maybe it was initially a much nicer place but you know was there a change in government did it suddenly get less support than it should have i have so many questions and no one will answer them because no one wants to acknowledge that this movie exists right and i also i mean i love these three i i have said multiple times online that i want them to get their own storyline i want them to get their own series (laughs) Like, I want the Nimbus 3 3 series where they are tangentially related to a government, <laughs> but not really. Because they were all sort of put out there, you know. And clearly, for, for you know, the Klingon is an old drunk who yes. they just don't know what to do with anymore. He's like a retired warrior that they're like, we can't deal with him we have to put him somewhere where he can't do any harm and clearly so they, they he has gotten drunk him. and embarrassed himself at one of chancellor gorkon's dinners <laughs> and general chang was like look can we just send him out somewhere exactly and i'm sort of the same way with the the human um st john talbot yes sexy as hell but clearly a disaster human <laughs> A trash boy. My favorite. Like, the fact that it's the 23rd century and he is smoking a cigar. <laughs> it's like, I mean, because he, like, he is a throwback, you know, a desperate, I'm gonna, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm gonna be a madman kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, if he could have joined the French Foreign Legion, I'm sure he would have. But at the same time, David Warner has never been sexier. I know. And then... 
And then, of course, my, my, my precious little Romulan, Caitlin, who is I such an you. idealist. Like, she's like, I am here to solve problems and build galactic peace. And I'm just like, oh my god, you are the perfect person. And, and she's like, our governments will definitely come for us. And the only... The only government that doesn't send someone is her own because she's clearly such a happy, optimistic, straightforward person that the rest of the Romulans are like, we need, we need to get rid of this one. <laughs> They're like, I'm we sorry. hope someone eats her. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, she basically swans around in a sparkly dress for the whole movie. The sort of dress which, as usual, you can pretty much find in any good department store these days. I love this 80s fashion revival. And she's definitely like, there is a romance that happens by the end there, and I'm like, okay, she is like more than half your age and this is wrong, but also, yes. <laughs> Go. Well, we don't know how Romulans age. Maybe, maybe they're contemporaries. Yeah, it's true. We don't know. Talbot is a trash boy, but maybe she knows that. But she has to suspect, right? And as we've said, sexy as hell. So yeah. In fact, Go for watching it. over Christmas, I sat down and tried to work out the timeline for him to hook up with Cat at some stage, and it didn't work. Like, he is just too young. But I tried. <laughs> nice. I appreciate mm. that. You're welcome. I mean, he comes back, like, the, um, Dave Warner comes back in the next film as a, like, Andorian president and he is so no longer attractive <laughs> excuse me he is chancellor gorkon in star trek 6 he's no, he a isn't. klingon he's the he's the isn't he the, the guy I thought i'm he was quite the sure it's gorkon i thought he was the andorian <laughs> hmm. well either way yes he comes back in star trek 6 he comes back again in next generation to torture picard as a cardassian well he is chancellor gorkon Thank you, thank you. Let's <laughs> say Chancellor Gorkin is also not as attractive, so sorry. <laughs> no, no. Look, nothing nothing, and no one will ever be as attractive as David Warner as Sinjin Talbot. <laughs> it's just, you know, trash. <laughs> I, at least we're all on the same page of trash, but attractive trash. <laughs> I think it's his hair and his sort of 1930s adventurer. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 he's a, he's a jerk. Like he's, he has, he has no redeeming qualities and that makes him very attractive. I'm sorry. I just, I just finally figured out, put, I've been trying to put my finger on it for ages, but the archetype that he's playing is, you know, the British adventurer in India or Southeast Asia or something who. A colonialist. Wants... Yes. Yes. <laughs> like. The, the worst possible person. This is why the Federation sent him out there, because he keeps saying the, la the quiet part loud. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love them and I want them to have their own series. It would be like leverage in space. <laughs> I just want them to be acknowledged. You know, I, I, I just feel like yeah. the good ideas in, in this flawed movie deserve to be explored yeah. properly. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. The good ideas in this flawed movie are, are being thrown out with the bad ideas, and it's upsetting. Yes. And I guess I suppose that there's disagreement about whether or not Cyborg is a good idea or a bad idea, but obviously I am team Cyborg all the way. 
Except for actually agreeing with him, which I, you know. <laughs> Let's talk about his cult. Okay. <laughs> Poor Cybok. <laughs> I feel... I mean, okay, so this movie, my take on this movie is that the first half is actually really good. Yes. It's a yes, really good beginning. And then it sort of like goes off the rails and I don't really know what happens. And it becomes like not just sort of incoherent, but boring. Like, by the yeah. time we get to the Great Barrier and the God Planet, I'm just sort of like, I'm over this. I don't care. That is where I got to this morning, and I was like, there's another 30 minutes left, and I just cannot be bothered. Yeah. All the important stuff has been done. All of the interesting stuff is in, is in the beginning. All of the interesting stuff is in that first half. You know, it's pretty much like once we get past Cybok and uh, showing Spock and McCoy's pain, once we get to that, it's like the mm. rest of it is not good. <laughs> like we, we're done. We've done all the good stuff and we're just in, you know, then we have to deal with Cybok's delusions. And I just, the Cybok's delusions and the charlatan at the middle, at the edge of the galaxy are not interesting to me. Yeah. All. And the, the only part of the, the, the ending that I really enjoy is Kirk putting up his hand to go, um, excuse me. And then we get the iconic, what does God need with a starship? But the little excuse me, like people talk to each other in this movie and they talk to each other like real people, which hasn't always been the case with Star Trek and won't be again, you know, forever. But they feel very settled and comfortable in their roles. Yeah. And that moment and then Spock's not in front of the Klingons <laughs> like they're funny but they're the only reasons I would watch the final scenes again right I, I think that the ending does suffer because that's where there was meant to be the big special effects extravaganza and they filmed it and it looked terrible so maybe yeah. with more money it would have been better but I actually but just don't I find know. Charlotte and God's very interesting yeah that's where I'm at I just it, that is not interesting story to me and they don't do anything with it they don't you know, they just sort of prove he's wrong, and they don't... It's like, you're, you're, at, you're at the edge of the galaxy. Maybe something else is here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and they just don't seem... They're not even curious. It's like, we came all this way, we found a fake, we, re we revealed the fake to everyone, and then we're going to leave. And it's like, wait... The, what about the rest of the final frontier? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I just, it just, they don't seem to be interested in any of it. They, they were just there to prove it false. And I don't care about proving it false. Because, because Star Trek I, has had, the, as we've discussed, Star Trek has had the trickster and the uh, false gods heaps of times. And... We've, we've also had the all-powerful beings who seem like they could be gods. Like, I, I think if there was a way to separate the cult business from the god stuff, if you could... Does this make sense? If it was about his existential pain cult and not about God in any way? Yeah! Yeah. Yeah. Like a purely secular cult and I think part of the problem is that once you have people on a quest for literal god you 
have to end that in some way. But however you end it, someone is going to be offended. Yeah. I just, that final, final half hour. Nope. Yeah. Right. I, it's, and, and I don't, I don't like Cybok's end. I don't like, I, it just sort of whimpers. It's like, oh. And, and, yeah. and you're, and yeah, and, and I, I can imagine it with more money and more effects, but I, that wouldn't, that would just be like empty effects. That wouldn't actually, it wouldn't fix the story. <laughs> no. And maybe this is where the writer's strike really, really hit them. Like, I don't know about yeah. you, but endings are what I revise oh, more than anything else. Absolutely. I was just, I was talking to my daughter just today about how, you know, I always know where, th- I, I know up to a point and then it's like, okay, now it has to have an actual <laughs> end. And that's, yeah. that's the hardest part. Yeah. I, I, I've spent the last month working on one single chapter that's like the big showdown in my novel. And it's terrible. Like, I, I wrote it going, this is terrible. I just need to put words on the screen and I can make it good later. Yeah, that's and, where I'm at right now, too. Yeah. And for the writers here, they just didn't get a later because they had to go on strike. Right. So it didn't yeah. get it didn't get revised. It, didn't, it wasn't refined in any way. It was just... No. Ha, 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 God. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. And, and I think also that they're hamstrung because they had to work with Roddenberry's ideas and he had very specific notions about religion and then the the head of Paramount was himself quite religious. So like I said, you're going to offend somebody. Yeah, but I think that they didn't just, they offended everybody and they also, like, no one was satisfied. Yeah, like mediocrity is ultimately more offensive than taking a risk. Right, exactly. Hmm. The one thing I did like was that each of each of the aliens perceives God as what their own culture has produced. And I think Babylon 5 did the same thing better like a few years later, but it's a concept that I like that we look at the same thing and see something different. Mm. I mean that's a that's a good sort of takeaway from for religion that Yeah. that they're all sort of based in in the same ideas of whatever. Like I'm yeah. not, not going to go into religion right now, but no, no, we've we've covered, we've done that episode, <laughs> done that. Ha, ha, ha. But yeah, that's that's my main my main complaint about this movie is that it gets really boring at a certain point, and I just yeah. don't care. <laughs> and, yeah, and I wish that I cared. No, but well, it's I the same. The caring. same with Nemesis. Nemesis has the opposite problem, where it turns into nothing but a big special effects extravaganza, and that too is boring. Right. Exactly there has to be something there has to be something that the characters care about yeah and i think ultimately with star trek it's great to have good special effects if you can get them but what you really need is a good story and ultimately this story wasn't there yet and yeah i think it's the the issue is that none of our main characters really believed in any of this. That's true. You know, I mean, they had, like, some of some of the secondary characters, like Uhura becomes, like, a true believer or whatever because she, Cybok shows her something. We don't get to see it, so we don't know what she's believing in, and she's not the main trio. The main no. three reject it, like, outright. And before we even get there. Yes. Like, there's no curiosity or temptation. They're not... Like, Spock's not going, 
I have moved on from the pain you've tried to free me on anyway, and I disagree with you, but I have this driving curiosity to see. Right, like, so we're not invested, because the only person who cares is Cybok, and we have established from literally the first scene that he is a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I know that there was a draft where everyone turned against Kirk, including Spock and McCoy, and you know Nimoy and Kelly turned uh, fought very hard against that because how would why would they betray Kirk after all these years and it was just kind of Shatner wanting to be the hero on his own and so I think that changing that was a good choice but at the same time I kind of I just wish that there had been more temptation more intellectual curiosity about Cybok's quest I mean and, and related to that Kirk is never actually tempted at all yeah. So because you know, if he if he is the main character, which in this story we're gonna go with he is, mm-hmm. and he has no compunction whatsoever to even investigate his pain and this idea of it, then yeah. why should we as the audience care or be invested in any of it? Like he rejects right. it outright the whole time. Right, he uh, he gives this speech about how he needs his pain and it makes him human and he knows it. And I think that's a really good concept. And I think, you know, Patrick Stewart could have sold the hell out of that speech. But at the same time, this was the era of TNG where terrible traumatic things would happen to people like Picard and there'd be no consequences. And, you know, maybe the Marlboro Man does need therapy. Right. Or, or at least... We need to see the pain. We need yeah, to we yeah. need to acknowledge it in some way and and then reject it. You can't just or or embrace it, I guess, is what he's he's choosing to do. Yes. But if we like, don't see it at all, if he, if that's already happened, it's like, okay, cool. And, and the thing is, you know, what is Kirk's deepest pain is it losing Spock in Wrath of Khan and what drives him to climb this mountain when he could die why is he so convinced that he is going to die alone these are really interesting questions about him as a character and they don't really get explored because real men don't have feelings right yeah that's it is that we we don't we don't examine his feelings at all we don't know Mm. what his pain would even have been yeah and Kirk is not really a character that I connect with. And so I see, uh, you know, meta about him. And I've read essays from zines in the 70s about his profound emotions and all that. And I don't see it. And this was an opportunity to make me see it. Yeah. So I, you know, was fine. I was like, whatever, Kirk exists, sort of, (laughs) until the reboot movies. And Chris Pine's Kirk, I 100% believe and care about, and I am, like, there with him. But we we see him hurting immediately. Like, his pain is a a huge part of who he is and how he's playing everything. And he cries on more than one occasion, and it's it's all about his pain. Like, the entire trilogy is about Kirk's pain. Right, and... It's his daddy issues are not particularly revolutionary, but Chris Pine makes you feel what Kirk is feeling. Exactly. And, and so I love him. I love that Jim Kirk. Like, I, I have the hugely 
and I become I became more invested in TOS Kirk because of that performance. Mm. Like I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back to the original, and I'm going to imagine this version yeah. doing this, and I I cared more. Like that's yes. how revolutionary it was. But it was entirely because he was so emotional. Yes. Whereas I don't think Shatner is necessarily at fault here because, you know, Kirk is a character of the 60s and storytelling and expectations for characters and particularly masculine heroic characters were quite different. But yeah, I I have never connected with Kirk and this movie could have given me that. Oh, well. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. So how about let's talk about the supporting cast. First, can I point out that in the... um, Spock's existential pain flashback. We see his birth and we see Amanda giving birth in a cave <laughs> and it's basically Star Wars level bad obstetrics. I, like, sorry, I, I like, I saw that note of yours and I was like, I'm sorry, this is worse than Star Wars. <laughs> there aren't even any robots. Like, okay. Right, right. <laughs> and, and like, the Vulcan midwife is wearing gold nail polish, which looks amazing, but midwives should not be wearing She's nail polish. She's not a midwife. She's a priestess. Like, I know this. I don't know why I know this. From the novelization, maybe, something like that. She is not a midwife. She is not oh a doctor gosh. of any kind. She is a priestess. Sarek is, like, in a different room. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I ref- like, that's as much as I'm, like, Star Trek V should be canon. This scene should not. Oh, no, I think it's canon that this is how Cybok pictures Spock's birth. <laughs> yeah, Because exactly. Spock can't remember, and Cybok probably wasn't there. So my head canon is that he sees the priestess with his mother's face. Though I think that was a woman of colour, and Cybok is very white. Anyway, <laughs> this is Cybok's impression of Spock's birth. It's bad, is what it is. <laughs> not, that should not... Like, I am sorry, I do not care how hippy-dippy Vulcans are or how (laughs) traditionalist they are or about their arranged marriages or all their other nonsense. There is no way that 200 years from now, this is what women are expected to do. I I refuse. And if I was Amanda, a human, I would be like, I am giving birth on Earth by... Yeah, yeah. Amanda is like, find me the best hospital on Vulcan. I want air conditioning. I want a water birth. I want some really good obstetricians on hand and a fetal transporter. And if I can't have that, I'm leaving because we have space travel. Yeah, yeah. And Sarek is going to look at the giant whale who is currently bearing his child and go, anything you want, my wife. Like, no. Yeah. And, I mean, even if you just look at where they live in Discovery, like, that didn't happen. Yeah. That, that cave thing no. didn't happen. Okay, That Sorry. was Cybok's fan fiction. False. <laughs> Cybok's fan fiction. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm just disturbed that Cybok is, like, that's not what Cybok should be thinking about. It's your stepmother. Stop. He is not entirely in touch with reality. Who knows? Anyway, let's talk about the rest of the characters. Okay. 
So there's like this cute little romance between Scotty and Uhura. Yeah, I don't really like it because I feel like if Uhura can't have Spock, then she should date outside of the, the crew. Chapel. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I have, that works. I have opinions. Hey, no, I, I, I think they'd be a great couple. But, uh, you I know. I mean, we know it... my feelings on Spock and Uhura and how they belong together in yes. every way. Yes. <clears throat> so, yeah, I agree. I, I think that it's cute. But it definitely comes off as more of a Scotty has a crush and Uhura is playing with it. Like, yeah. not, not not in a bad, like, not in a, I, you know, she's, she's stringing him along or anything. I don't mean that. I mean sort of like, no. oh, I've never thought of that. Let me think about maybe we can do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a thing. Like, we're, we're good friends. Wouldn't it be terrible? Yeah. Like, she's she's considering, I guess. I don't know. Scotty is looking for Ms. Wright and Uhura is looking for Mr. Wright now. Yeah. But also, like, their date is eating packets of chips on the bridge. I, I guess if they had something to drink, I'd, I, I'd be into that. It just looks very dry. Um, I mean, I, I am not, I, I don't ship it. I, I don't. No. I don't not ship it. Like, I'm not opposed to it. It's not a no TP. But, um, I mean, and I am also biased because, again, I am hugely invested in Spock and Uhura, and mm. a lot of people online use this, like, one date scene slash flirtation as proof that Uhura is meant to be with Scotty and what? therefore should not be with Spock. Like, that Whereas- is a thing that happens in circles that are against Spock and Uhura, which are big circles, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm going to be even pickier and say that Scotty is such a misogynist in Wolf in the Fold in, I think, season one of the original series that he's not allowed to date anyone. So this is like a Geordie situation? <laughs> Pretty much. So, yeah, I, I think that they're cute. I think that... It's cute that there is a flirtation for people who were of their age. Yeah. And have been around this long. It was sort of like, oh, that's a, it's a, it's a cute idea. That's cute. Who, you know, Shatner, whoever came up with it. It's not terrible. Um, but I don't, I'm not, I don't think that it is, you know, quote unquote end game or mm. they're soulmates or they're meant to be. That's not a thing. Well, certainly it's never mentioned again. And in this case, I'm going to assume that that's not the magical power of Star Trek V. That's just, they dated, they realised it was awkward, they broke up, stayed friends, everyone forgot about it. Kind of like (laughs) Deanna and Worf. It's just what I was going to say. I was like, so so a Troy and Worf situation. (laughs) So this is the original series version of the season seven (gasps) last minute romance. That is exactly what it is. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, then I like it not as much as I like Deanna and Worf, but better than I like Chakotay 7. I'm going to file it almost equal with Ev- Esri Julian. Esri and Bashir. Yeah. yeah. Another relationship that's like cute, but shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I just don't know. In my opinion. Uh, mm. But like you said, everyone 
gets a moment in this movie. And I think Chekhov and Sulu getting lost and not admitting it is pretty silly. And Scotty knocking himself out on the Enterprise is silly. And both scenes are sort of dismissive of those characters. It's, it's definitely comic relief, but it's also, you know, everyone loves Star Trek VI. And in Star Trek VI, Uhura can't speak Klingon. And this is another one of the things that I refuse. Like, that is, it's a joke. It's played for laughs. It's supposed to be funny. But I hate that scene. Like, I hardcore hate it. It's my favorite TOS movie, but I hate that scene. And, And so it's like that kind of, that, these characters are real people. And why do they, why are they treated just as jokes? Yeah. Like, let's think about it. But at the same they, really they do, yeah. But they do get good moments that aren't humorous. Most most of them in I, Star Trek Five. I really you know, like Chekhov pretending to be Captain. <laughs> it's so great. It's not quite as good as Sulu in yeah. Into Darkness, but it's up there. Right. It's the same idea. And it, yeah. And it, and it amuses me that they both get to have that in these weird parallel ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I like Scotty uh, busting the boys out of out of the brig. Yeah. And Uhura does so much in this movie. Like she's sending shuttles to get people. She's not like she's not moving the plot along as much as Kirk or Spock, but she's very present in a way that she's not in the other movies. She's active. Yeah, I and mean, sometimes you like know, so in Star Trek Three, I really love her scene with Mister Adventure. Like that's so yes. cute and great, and it's like yeah, Uhura. But then she's literally not in the rest of the film. Yeah, and it's whereas here she's present and she's active, and it's cool. And I don't quite understand Nichelle Nichols' frosted hair, but I'm glad she is having a good time. Uh, then there's the sexy naked dance which kind of overshadows everything else Uhura does, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that that's the issue is that it, it does overshadow everything and it becomes mm. about that, and I don't want it to be about that. Like, I don't want what Uhura does in this film to be she gets naked. <laughs> yeah, because it's such a weird and uncomfortable scene. It is. It's and, weird and uncomfortable. Nichelle Nichols was proud of it. She was excited to do it because she felt like, hey, I'm like 60-something and I get to be sexy, so yeah, screw yeah. all you and haters. <laughs> but it's weird. It's, mm. it's sort of like Uhura is, is more than this and she's being used for this. And that, like, yes. I get that she chose it or something, but it, it, that's not how, I, how it, it comes across. No, and I don't think Nichelle Nichols is wrong to be proud of that scene. Like, she spent a lot of her career being sidelined from the sorts of cool, sexy roles that she could have had by her race. Yeah. And it, she does it very well. It's just that from a writing level, like you say, it doesn't... Her agency doesn't come across. It reminds me of uh, Marina Sirtis being very proud of the child. Yes. In a, yes. like, she got to act, finally. She got an yeah. episode that was all about her, and she got to have a full range of emotions, and she got to make choices, and she got to do stuff. Yeah, but and that's I don't a want to begrudge story. actresses take from, 
if, if you get a shitty script and you feel like you did an amazing job with it regardless good for you i'm exactly. happy for you and i just wish you had better and more opportunities right I yeah agree. and in this case you know i i guess you know where did they even get the palm fronds that she's using <laughs> like this is a desert planet were they on the shuttlecraft um maybe we shouldn't think about it too hard <laughs> if she didn't have palm fronds she would be completely nude <laughs> so yeah. i don't know i, I mean just... i guess in in their defense mm-hmm. palm trees are desert a desert plant yes they're more yes. realistic than if it was like i don't know pine or something i always misremember this scene with uhura having big pink feathers like a burlesque dancer (laughs) which you know i think the palm fronds echo that in a very cool way but obviously the feathers would be even worse so they definitely have a vegas showgirl yeah aspect to them i just like to think that there's a universe out there where kirk did the sexy naked dance and uhura stole the horses Oh man, now I want that. I so mean, does Spock. Maybe not like <laughs> maybe not. But um yeah. Mm. It would definitely be an interesting take. Yeah. And Uhura's dance kind of leads us into talking about the alien women in this this movie and including the three-breasted cat dancer who Kirk drowns. Yeah, that's horrible. Like, everything about the cat dancer is horrible. I, like, the fight between her and Kirk goes on so long, and it's so uncomfortable. And why? And, and then he just straight up murders her, and what did this poor woman do except wind up on a shitty planet with a shitty job and then get brainwashed by a cult? Yeah, it is not her fault. He is, it's really, it's really upsetting on many levels i mean to begin with she's overtly sexualized and you know there's no reason for that character to have three breasts other than they wanted to so it's just all bad (laughs) and then the fact that she is yeah straight up murdered for no reason Mm. It's almost played for laughs. It's a little, yeah, exactly. It's really disturbing. Mm. It's it's upsetting. So that yeah. is all bad. Everything about that is bad. And it's so weird because Star Trek in general, aside from some missteps like that time Scotty was possessed by Jack the Ripper and murdered a woman, is generally not about violence against sex workers. But they don't really have a great track record of, presenting sex workers in a positive light no no that's the thing and i think women at warp has a whole episode about this that we can link to where actual sex workers discuss this matter but it's just i don't understand like i could see that they were going for a sort of low budget mos eisley cantina vibe with paradise city and its little bar or whatever and that's cool but mos eisley didn't the cantina didn't have exotic dancers she just didn't need to be there and if she had to be there she could have been a person not a prop right exactly and not a punchline at the end of a violent scene not a a woman being killed 
Yeah. Like, that's what happens by our mm. hero. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's just never mentioned. And the sad thing is that other than this terrible, terrible scene, like, this is actually not a terrible movie for women. We have Caitlin. We have Vixus, the Klingon on their ship. Yeah. There are prominent women. Okay. And then there's Ahura, and that's about it. There's the delightful yeoman played by Melanie Shatner, who has the 80s take on the beehive. But there are women in the background scenes. There are women in there are ex you know some of the extras are women and that's more than you can say for the mandalorian right now (laughs) so yeah i i love vixus um yes i love the klingons in general they're hilarious the klingons i love that they are so funny in this movie (laughs) they don't really have any political agenda they just want to blow shit up and (laughs) have fun and look good doing it (laughs) Right, right. These are clearly the the gym bros, the CrossFit bros of the Klingon Empire. <laughs> yes, exactly. and, and so Vixus is not really, you know, a three dimensional character. Neither is Caitlin, really. But I like that they're there, and I like that they get to do things. And you know, in other movies, those roles would have gone to men. Yeah, and be seen as competent. Yes. Um. Yes. You know they are a part of the plot. They don't drive the plot, but they're a part of it. They have yes. a purpose. You know, they don't have and, their and own little storyline necessarily, but they do have their own... Like, you can you can make up a storyline for them. They have enough yeah. of a presence that you can decide what they're doing over there. I read that the intent for Vixus was that her motivation was that she was in love with her captain, and I'm like, girl, you can do so much better. This is a movie about women falling in love with trash men. But <laughs> I, I love, I love that she is, a, you know, she is quite thick. You know, she's very muscular. I think that Spice Williams, the actress, was actually a wrestler. And I really like that they, they cast big women to play Klingon women. Look at, you know, Mary Chifo. She's six foot. Yeah, I want... I want her to, like, you know, take over the ship. <laughs> like, I don't want yeah. her to be in love with him. I don't want her to be like, you know what? I'm better at this. Right. You're right. first but officer I think, now. Bye. Like Laurel and Vogue, I think maybe Klingon women as in general need to understand that they can have higher standards. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's clearly a thing because... Like, all the way into Next Generation, Klingon women are sort of being held down a bit. And it's yeah. it's rebellious and and strange of them to have their own agency and want their own Yes, and, and I used to find it really strange that they would go from having Chancellor Azetbur to having no women on the High Council at all. But, you know, I look at 2019 and the sort of backlash against everything, and I'm like, Okay, I get it now. Yeah, that's once, exactly Once what again, we are the Klingons. I don't want to be the Klingons. I'm sorry. Oh, dear. <laughs> but no, I, I, I liked that Vixus and her captain both had, you know, shirtless, to- <laughs> uh, shirtless, sleeveless costumes to show off their big muscles. And... <gasps> Even though it's stupid that there's a periscope on the Klingon ship, I like. Yeah. I, so I thought that was fun. Going back to the beginning of our conversation, 
This oh, movie yeah, is visually like okay, so there's there's two movies visually. There's a yes. really good like cinematography and we have ideas about visuals movie and then yes. there's also we really wanted this to be amazing and we didn't do it version <laughs> of the movie and they're both there and it's really interesting because it is always either like 90% or 15% <laughs> like there's yeah. nothing in between the Everest like, stuff is from... actually really nice yes like, and there's I know it's kind vistas. of it's obvious and a little too impressed with itself but the graffiti that says lost over the paradise sign I like that like we have never seen graffiti in Star Trek before the paradise sign the sandstorm at the beginning like I'm totally into that stuff yes that they, was gorgeous they really sell the idea of that planet mm. and, and a lot of the scenes on the Enterprise A were just refurbished next generation sets but unless you knew that and even knowing that I couldn't always tell and it looked nice it's a very beige and brown movie so I guess if you don't like that then that's a problem for you and I'm sad but you've got this gorgeous ship's lounge or whatever it is which has a a, a, sh- a sea ship's wheel yeah you know? I, the ship's wheel is great I love the ship's yeah. wheel like it's it's silly but I love yes. it yes it's like the periscope. The the periscope is silly, but I love it. They when yes. they um put on the rocket boots and like shoot up through the ship, totally into it. Like there's all these little things that you know, they they do with what they have. And they 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 try. Yeah. Um yeah. And, and and just the fact like you yeah, the costuming on the Klingons is hilarious. And it's great. Like, the visuals are just fun. Stupid Kirk's go climb a rock shirt is funny. Like, it's a good visual gag. Good job. And I really like the beige desert wear that they wear for the away team and their little tactical jumpers. They're, like, nice jumpers and I would wear one. I think Starfleet needs more knitwear. And then you had the shot of the crew members like suiting up in the shuttlecraft and they're wearing body armor and it's a bit uh, reminiscent of Discovery's tactical vest, though obviously the other way around. Mm. And uh, yeah, the costuming was good. I love Caitlin Dar's outfit, as we've discussed. (laughs) It's amazing. Everything about Caitlin Dar is amazing. If we haven't established that. She does not like... She doesn't match the rest of the film, but she's amazing. I have one criticism of her costuming, and that's that her hair, if you're not a very good artist, and I'm not, and you're trying to sketch her as you're watching the movie, her hair looks like a penis. (laughs) I am never going to not see that now, and I'm upset about it. I'm sorry. I have never even imagined her hair as a penis, (laughs) and now... That's just... Well, it's, it's probably because I'm not a very good artist, but it happened, and then I coloured it in, and it just looked... Anyway. Anyway. The, the just, movie, like, like you say, it veers between visual perfection and... It's just so fun because... Okay, so we've got Hippie Vulcan, and then we have, like, Disco Romulan. Like, it's just... Yeah! I just love it. It's ridiculous, and I love it. And, like, you know... 
As much as I harp on the original series sometimes, I think that ridiculous but lovable is probably the best adjective, like the best way I could describe it. Yeah, and I like seeing, you know, the, the movies take themselves quite seriously and they don't really go overboard in terms of ridiculous costuming and that's fine. They have to appeal to a wider audience than the television series and they don't want to look ridiculous or dated but every now and then they they let go and you get a sparkly suit so you really had not seen this film until like last christmas i saw it once as a kid but then never again yeah i mean i don't know how many times i've seen it but i saw it twice in the theaters oh wow (laughs) because all right so i'm not exactly sure when this movie came out but it was recently after my mother died and I had this church lady who was trying to like she would take me to movies and 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 dinners and different things like and we saw we saw a lot of movies together because she was trying to sort of be my maternal figure in a way yeah um sort of get you out of the house a bit yeah and so I mean we saw like we saw gorillas in the mist we saw uh, the baseball movie where if you build it, they will come. Field, yes. of, Field of Dreams. Um, and we saw Star Trek V because I loved Star Trek and she knew that. She did not know what Star Trek was, but oh, she went to no, see Star Trek V. <laughs> and we got there like a half hour early because she was worried that there wouldn't, that, that we wouldn't get in if we didn't get there on, you know, mm, early. Mm. That was not a, that was not a true worry. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I I live in Connecticut and there's never a line for things. But second of all, no one wanted to see this movie. But then I was also in like a a a group of, you know, I had a group of friends that loved Star Trek and we all loved Star Trek together who wanted to go see the movie as well. And so I like couldn't mm. tell them that I had already seen the movie. <laughs> And we also got there like a half hour early and I was just like, (laughs) again, like, why is this happening to me? So I saw Star Trek V in a near empty theater twice on opening weekend. (laughs) And yeah, I do not think it was worth that. (laughs) No. As much as I, I don't think it should be, you know, discounted and ignored and, and hated. I also don't think it was worth that. <laughs> Gorillas in the Mist no. was better. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this was the first movie that the first Star Trek movie that my parents skipped at the cinema and rented on video. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it just like your note here is why is this film so reviled? <laughs> and I think part of the problem is that. There were a lot of movies coming out that year, and this one was pretty widely recognized as mediocre. Mm. Yeah, it is mediocre. Like, mm. again, I I think that it has value. Oh yeah, um, but but it's, certainly it's not a movie. It's never. It's not in. I, how many Star Trek films are there now? <laughs> Thirteen. Oh, like something I like guess. that. You know, and it's still it's not in my top five. It. it it's, you know, it's just, it's not, and, and to be honest, like, don't hate me, but mm. 
I don't love the Star Trek movies. I don't think that... I think that Star Trek is better on television. I agree. And, like, I've, I watched Generations and First Contact with my flatmate just recently. And I was like, yeah, these are fine. But I, I really love First Contact for a lot of reasons. But they're not good as movies. And the more I see movies which are themselves really wonderful pieces of art mm. like I don't want to get all Scorsese on, on, on you but I don't think Star Trek movies are great cinema <laughs> yeah I, I think that they serve a purpose and mm. are entertaining and yeah, I have a lot of friends who really love Star Trek Insurrection and I don't <laughs> like, I was going to say I'm, that's I'm, certainly I'm, a choice I'm not going to be mean to them but it would it is not mine yeah um, yeah. And there was recently there like there was a, a head-to-head battle on Twitter that was like um, Star Trek Two versus Empire Strikes Back. What? I know. Obviously, it's Empire Strikes Back. And I was just like, I mean, this is and and the thing was that because I follow a lot more, well, not more, I follow a different kind of Star Trek fan versus Star Wars fan, mm. and the, so a lot of the my. My, you know, people that I follow and people that I'm friends with, they were basically voting for Star Trek 2 on principle. Yeah. And it was just sort of like, what are you smoking? <laughs> like, I, no, you know, no, and, I and agree. the thing is, like, Empire Strikes Back is not even my favorite Star Wars movie. It's like, <laughs> I have a lot of problems with Empire Strikes Back. And but... yet... <laughs> It's still like, better than the best Star Trek movie. Yeah, and exactly. I, that, I love Star Trek movies. I really enjoy watching them. And just because they're not great cinema doesn't mean that I don't think they should have been made or right. that they don't have a place. I just think that Star Wars is better on, tele- on, on in cinema than on television. And that doesn't mean I don't love Clone Wars and Rebels and I'll probably get to like The Mandalorian as soon as they introduce some, some more women. But, and Star Trek is better on television. Yeah, so it's it's just a it's a, it's an interest it's an interesting, and yeah. so so I you know I I went to to watch it, I did not buy it, I rented no I I rented it from Amazon, I <laughs> I'm you know I own a lot of movies that I'm sort of like well it's only six dollars to own so I might as well own it but I was like I don't actually need to own this movie, <laughs> like it's okay yeah. if this is not in my. Um, and I, and so, I, but that doesn't mean that I think it shouldn't exist or that it shouldn't be acknowledged as Star Trek. It mm. is Star Trek, and, you yeah. know. And, and the received fanboy wisdom that it's the worst Star Trek movie and shouldn't be canon, I think is wrong. I agree. Obviously, the worst Star Trek movie is Nemesis. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I haven't seen Nemesis, which is not just not a good movie it's also offensive (laughs) yes i was telling my flatmate because we're watching insurrection tonight and then nemesis next week insurrection is mediocre but inoffensive and nemesis is mediocre and offensive exactly but apparently it has spot in some cut scenes so we have to watch it (laughs) well enjoy that i like again i have seen nemesis twice i do not remember what happened like I, I uh, the, literally the first time I saw it, the second time I saw it, I was start. It started, and I was like, I know I've seen this, and I don't remember anything that happens. And I watched that, and the second time I watched it, I was like, I hate it. 
but I, <laughs> I don't necessarily remember what happens. But at least I, I remember enough mm. to know that I hate it, as opposed to I've blacked this out of my mind. It is that bad. <laughs> there are very few films that, that, you know, like Terminator Salvation is another mm. one where it's like, I don't know what happens in this movie because I hate it so much. It has a couple of good bits. It has the Janeway cameo and comes closer than any other TNG movie to a Beverly Picard scene. And uh, some other stuff happens, I assume. Oh, there's a really good female Romulan character that I like. I like her fashion. Yes. I like Shinzen's fashion. Yeah, and Tom Hardy really tried. (laughs) Tom Hardy. I feel bad for him. I feel like he wanted to be in a Star Trek movie and he was in that. You know, I think his career has recovered. Well, true. <laughs> but anyway. anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, Star Trek V, fine. It's just fine. Mm. It's definitely better to watch when you've had a couple of drinks and it turns up on your free government-owned streaming service yeah. and you have nothing better to do. That's a good way uh, of putting it. Yes. Also, partway through, my boss called me. It was Christmas night. I had, had had been drinking for a while, and my boss called me from Spain because he and his family had just landed on their holiday, and their data roaming was messed up. Wow. I did not answer the fo- I did not answer the phone. Good. Good I for you. took my phone to another room, and when the movie was finished, I texted, being like, "Oh, sorry, I missed your call. Is it too late? Can I help?" And he was like, "No, his teenage son fixed it." <laughs> That's good. He did apologize when work went back for calling me on Christmas night. That's good because I wouldn't put up with that. <laughs> He's, He's going to put that out there. My friends, as that boss who rang you that time on Christmas. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation second, seventh season episode, Sub Rosa. That time Beverly shagged a candle. <laughs> I'm excited! I hope no one is expecting me to find redeeming qualities in that episode. <laughs> I would much rather watch Star Trek V. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>